Morning, everybody. How are you? It's officially fall, right? Can we say good morning? Can we do that again? Good morning, everybody. Very good. Good to hear from you. See you all. Um, if you're visiting, glad to have you this morning. We're in the midst of a series on the book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament book that I personally am loving a lot being in it. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. It's on page 22 of your book. Um, if you don't have it numbered, it's easy to find because it's just 3. 1 is at the upper left, so open there with me. Um, the whole ch of chapter 3 is on these two pages. There are places in the next couple pages to take notes. Um, we're going to do something kind of unique with it this morning. But one thing I want to say about chapter 3 is it is so easy to pass over this chapter. Uh, I mean, look at it, and I know you haven't had time to look at it intently. If you read it ahead of time this week, you'll see it's a long list of the workers and the places where they worked on the wall. And it is chocked full of interestingly named gates, trust me on that, and also of a lot of unpronounceable names. Um, for me, when I read this, I thought of, it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book to me. Um, let me give you an example. We're told that the Grinch took presents everywhere. Pop guns, pompunas, pantukas and drums, checkerboards, bizzlebinks, popcorn and plums. So that's almost what it's like to read chapter 3 of Nehemiah. And at first glance, it just looks long and tedious. Um, sometimes there's chapters like this in the Bible, but I want you to know it's tempting to just fly past it and overlook it. But there's a very, very, very important truth in this chapter and that I hope we can really get to today. Um, before we look at chapter 3, just remind you that the task they were about was a huge task. It was monumental. Um, I said last week it was a circuit of a wall about a mile. Pat and I were talking last week. It's always helpful for me to think visually what does that look like. And if you were to take, two, if you were to take the track at Emporia State with the football field in the center of it, if you were to take eight of those, put them together side by side, two wide and four long, that would be a mile circuit or circumference around that. Um, and again, they're rebuilding a destro utterly destroyed wall, a wall so destroyed that if you remember last week when Nehemiah was riding around on a mount looking at it, that the wall was so crumbled he even had to stop at a point to be able to walk um, the rest of the way. They started at the north end of the gate, up, I'm the north end of the city up by the sheep gate. Um, where the temple was, they went counterclockwise working around Jerusalem, I think, there's, there's multiple reasons Nehemiah did this. He's so strategic. The, the north end was the most susceptible to attack, the weakest point. Easy to start there. But I think there's even a more important reason. Um, Nehemiah always puts first things first. He always wants to keep God at the center of everything. The temple was up north. The sheep gate is the gate where they brought the sheep in for sacrifice. So I think he starts there and they dedicate that because that's just part of his way of saying that this is all centered on God. But the mission is pretty simple, I think, in chapter 3, and it's, it's this. It's rebuild the wall. That's their mission. Um, the word repair dominates chapter 3. And we're not going to go circle all of them, trust me. There's, it occurs 28 times, 38, 38 times in this chapter, that word repair, in 21 of 32 verses. So that, that dominates this, this chapter. Look at verse 8 with me. If you look at verse 8, if you have your pen in hand, because we're going we're gonna to do some circling of words. Verse 8 says... Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They, and if you're reading along, what's the next word? Restored. Put a box around that. That's a significant word, isn't it? They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So they're not just rebuilders, but they are restorers. 
That's their mission, and that's our mission. So, so far, we've learned from Nehemiah in week one. We learned that as a restorer, I need to be a person that puts first things first. I've got to center my life on God. We learned the next week that a restorer must be a person of faith, somebody who lives in with trust upon or trust in and dependence upon God. And last week that we learned that as a restorer, I need to be wise and strategic in everything that I do. And today the focus is actually going to shift. We've been looking a lot at Nehemiah, and though he's a great leader, Nehemiah does not appear in this chapter. The focus goes and shifts onto the community, and I think that's really significant. Because rebuilding this wall, it took the whole community to do that. It took the whole community. Um, they needed everyone standing side by side to fill all of the gaps along the wall. And in the words of that great African proverb, we've got a number of students from Africa who come for service, and they're over in the international group. But in the, the, the words of that great African proverb, it takes a village to be a restorer. It takes a village. Um, if you're a Chiefs fan, you know this, right? It doesn't just take one great leader or one great player. I mean, you guys have, you guys, right? I'm a Broncos fan, if you're new and don't know. For you guys, you have a generational talent in Patrick Mahomes, but one guy alone doesn't win games. Learned that the first game of the season. Kelsey's out, Jones is out, and they lose to, of all teams, the Lions, right? Uh, and that's nothing bad on the Chiefs because... I don't even, I, I support the Broncos, but they're not even a team, okay? So you guys have it actually good. By the way, put in a quick plug, on October 12th, which is a Thursday, the Chiefs and Broncos are going to play each other. And we're going to get together in the West Building, the men, we're going to have snacks, and we're going to watch the game and hang out and have a good time and watch Garen squirm, okay? The whole game. I'll be there with the Broncos uniform on, Jordan will wear his Rams, and all the rest of you bring your red, so... But we know this is so true, and it's true of us as a restoring community. It's so true of us that to be a restorer, I need the community, and the community needs me. There are gaps to fill, and it takes everyone. And I want to show you this in chapter 3. It is so cool. Um, first, I want to start with the gaps. First, there were gaps to fill. There were sections of the wall to rebuild. And that's why they had to work side by side together as a whole team to get this done, this done. Nehemiah, if you're like just jotting down some, some significant notes, he uses the word next 26 times in this chapter, and we're not going to go through and find them all. He talks continually, you'll see, next section, next to him, next to them. This idea, again, it's so important that it's in 21 of 32 verses. And not only were there gaps to fill, but it took everyone. That's the other thing that I think this chapter is about. Um, in chapter 2, verse 18, if you remember, he gave a speech and they said, let's start rebuilding. In chapter 3, they start rebuilding. They're at the task. And we're going to see in this chapter that the whole community took up that challenge, that everyone threw their shoulder behind the work, everybody, individuals and groups, guys and gals, uh, residents, non-residents, the working class, the ruling class. And, and I just want to kind of walk through and show you that. Because I think that's part of what Nehemiah is doing in this chapter. Most commentators don't believe it's an exhaustive list of the workers, okay? But if I counted correctly, there are 38 individuals that are mentioned in this chapter by name. And there's 12 different groups that are mentioned. Again, commentators don't think it's, it's, um, it's exhaustive, but 12 different groups mentioned. I want you to see those groups. 
um, and they're kind of up here. First, whole families got involved. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, the fish gate was rebuilt, and I would love for you to put a box around the next five words, by the sons of Hasanah, by the sons of Hasanah. Verse 12, go down there, tells us this, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section, and I want you to put a box around these next six words, with the help of his, what? Of his daughters. Isn't that cool? A man blessed with many daughters, and they wanted to pitch in. I love that. And the workers also came from many walks of life, different trades, different professions. And we're going to hit some of these, so I want you to circle these as we go through. Verse 9, we see that the guards were part of the project. In ver- I mean, in verse 29, it's kind of close to the edge of the, the right edge of the page, the guard at the east gate. So circle guard. The, the guards were involved. Goldsmiths are mentioned three times in this chapter. Once in verse 8, so if you look at verse 8, circle that. Kind of close to the left edge, you'll see goldsmiths on a line. They're also in verse 31 and 32. Almost halfway through the lines on the page as you're walking across, you'll see goldsmiths in 31, goldsmiths in 32. Merchants were involved on the wall. Again, in 31 and 32. The first occurrence, if you'll circle it, it's right under the first goldsmith. The second occurrence of merchants is to the right of that goldsmith at the very end of this chapter. And then verse 8, I kind of saved this one for the last. Perfume makers got involved on the wall. Um, Under the goldsmiths you circled, it's right under that on the left-hand side, perfume makers. Even important officials pitched in. There are seven different rulers that are mentioned in the text, and we're not going to go through and circle all of them. Um, because we're going to circle enough as it is. Um, there's, they're mentioned in verse 9, and then in these verses in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, it mentions a local regional ruler who was there pitching in. I do want to point out one of these rulers, though. It's in verse 16. Very bot- left-hand side, very bottom of the page. It says, Behind him... Nehemiah, and I want you to put a little smiley face under Nehemiah, put a smiley face. This is not our Nehemiah, this is a different Nehemiah, same name, and the only reason I had you put a smiley face is how would you like to be that guy? Because when they start the work, he's like, great, I have to work on the wall, right? I've got the name of the leader, so I've got to show up. Uh, How many times have you written a smiley face in your Bible? Just kind of curious. Actually, Jesus says some pretty funny things to people, some of the interactions. There's a few in my New Testament. That's beside the point. Not only are there rulers, so we've got families, we've got lots of different trades and professions, we've got rulers, even the religious guys are getting in on it, okay? The priests are mentioned three different times at different places on the wall. In verse 1, almost the middle, very top, you know, of that left page, you'll see priests, circle that. If you go to verse 22, you will see the priests kind of towards about two-thirds of the way across that line. And then if you go to verse 28, we see them again above the horse gate, the priests. So circle that. So these guys are getting involved. And not just the priests, but the Levites, people who worked in the temple. They're mentioned twice in 17 and in 18. So you'll see in 17, next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites. And then if you drop down to verse 18, on the very left side of that, you'll see Levites again. So draw a circle around those. Even the temple servants are mentioned in verse 26. 
Um, circle them. They're just right where 26 starts. And the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel. So they made repairs. So circle them. And then one that really stands out to me is even Eliashib, the high priest, the top dog of this whole thing, other than Nehemiah, the top dog of that city, even he gets his hands dirty. He's in verse 1, the first four words, Eliashib, the high priest. And also, it's not just people in the city. It's people who are from around Jerusalem that get involved. Um, They got in the game too. Six different groups are mentioned in this text. Again, people don't think it's exhaustive. But I want us to circle these. There's kind of a reason for, for this. Verse 2, you'll see the word Jericho. Maybe put a box around this, the men of Jericho. Put a box around Jericho. That's one of the cities mentioned. In verse 5, you'll see the men of Tekoa. That's a small town south of Jerusalem. Put a box around Tekoa. We're going to come back to that. That's a really significant one. And then in verse 7, you also see men from Gibeon. Put a box around that. And Mizpah. Two towns north of Jerusalem. And then the residents of Zanoah in verse 13, towards the right side of the page. So, Zanoah. And, um, and then in verse 22, it tells us priest, the priest, we've already circled the priest, from the surrounding region. So, not just the priests who are living there, but the priests who are living outside the city. My guess is there were more than these other towns that were involved in the restoration. I think Nehemiah picked these four for a very specific reason, because in the order that they appear in chapter 3, he's talking about a city or a town that is west of Jerusalem, a town that is south of Jerusalem, a town that is east of Jerusalem, and a town that is north of Jerusalem, and I think that's his way of saying, without writing them all down, that everybody outside of this city got involved in the project. So this chapter, this chapter 3, it is so important. Because it tells me that everyone, that all were involved in the work, that everyone did their part, each and every one. They were all in. And I mean, how many, have any of you ever built an ancient wall around an ancient city? I mean, that's hard work, right? Backbreaking. Um, picking up the stones, I have been to Jerusalem, I have seen a section of Nehemiah's wall. They're not small stones, okay? So people are lifting those up. You're not only lifting them up, you're putting, setting them in place in the right way. You're putting the mortar on. It's hot. There's a lot of sweat going on, physical labor. And not only that, you have the constant danger of perhaps being attacked by the enemy, okay? Um, and yet, everybody does it. And to me, what's most impressive is these people are all volunteers. They're all volunteers. This task of everyone in, And everybody restoring, standing in the gap, it takes willingness. And I see this willingness four ways in this chapter, and I want to hit these briefly. First, being a restorer requires a willingness to go all in. Um, We'll see in chapter 4 next week, verse 6, it says that the people worked with all their heart. That's how Nehemiah describes it. But I want you to look at verse 20. One man is particularly elevated up out of in this chapter. In verse 20, it says, next to him... Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously, like underline that word, he zealously repaired another section. In Hebrew, it's literally he burned with zeal, that he burned with zeal. Um, We don't know how he exhibited it in a group of people working with all their heart, but there was something about this guy that showed that he had this passion in his blood for this project, that there was a fire in his belly. So to me, he is so much like Nehemiah. 
being restored also requires a willingness to go the extra mile. Everybody's participating. Everybody's doing the work. I think that's so cool. Some went the extra mile and did more than was required. After they'd done their allotment of work on a section of the wall or on a gate, they didn't stop there, but they moved to another section. And verse 13 is an example of that. Verse 13 says, The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zanoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits. That's 500 yards, five football fields. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Like underline that sentence. And there were others that did this. Nehemiah speaks five more times of people who finished one section and then went on to to repair another section. Five other times that he says that. Being restored also requires a willingness to do more than me and mine. More than me and mine. I don't have the time to go into this this morning, but Nehemiah strategically and intentionally placed a lot of the people next to their home to do repairs. If you want to hear why, what was some of us behind that, Listen to the podcast tomorrow. And I don't know if you guys listen to the follow-up podcast Jordan and I do, and I'm not necessarily trying to make a commercial for it, but um, sometimes I get to put things in there that I've edited out, and I also would encourage you to listen to last week's because Jordan and I took that concept of saying to somebody by the end of October, I would love to hear your story sometime. We, fill, we kind of fill that out and talk about what that looks like. So I think if you listen to that, it'll become more clear like what that would look like. So, But anyways, he strategically put people, many working beside their homes. But some of those people went on to repair other sections of the wall with a number of them actually working by the home of somebody else. And I want to show you one in verse 4. In verse 4. It says that Merimoth, and I want you to double underline his name. There's a reason I'm having you do this. He repaired next to his own house. And then I want you to draw an arrow from verse 4 across to the other page, almost right across, to verse 21. And here's what it says in verse 21. Next to him, Merimoth, so again, double underline that name, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. Underline that, from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. So he first repairs a wall next to his home, then he goes and repairs the wall next to somebody else's home. And by the way, if you remember from verse 1, that's the high priest's house where he's repairing the wall beside. I don't know, maybe he was uh, hoping for some brownie points with a pastor. I don't know. Uh, Speaking of that, I have some yard work that needs done. If anybody uh, wants to do that, you know I'm just kidding, okay? There were people, these people, what I'm impressed is they were interested in more than just me and mine. They did not have a, I'll take care of mine and you take care of yours mentality. They weren't just in it for themselves, they were in it for God, and they were in it for the whole community, whole community. And then finally, being restored also requires a willingness to serve outside of one's strengths. Okay, we saw goldsmiths, we saw merchants. Perfume makers all lending a hand. And now you can't tell me the perfume makers are great stonemasons, okay? If we have a perfume maker here, 
I don't want to offend anybody. And, here, and I'm, I'm not trying to because I can tell you the religious dudes chip in, and I can tell you that us religious worker kind of people, we have no ability to do anything with our hands. Just ask Rudy Bradburn, who I'm frequently calling and needing help with things, okay? Here's the thing that I see in this, is that even though... These people had no clue what they were doing with their hands. 95% had no clue. They still chipped in and they lent a hand. They still chipped in. And what I learned from this is you don't have to be good at something to fill a gap, right? You only need to care about the mission in the community. That's all you need to care about. Um, the fact that most of them didn't know what they were doing, it didn't stop them. But they were more focused on meeting the real needs in the community and standing in the gap where they were than in just using their gifts, like what I'm good at. Isn't that great? I just love, I love this chapter. I love what I think Nehemiah is communicating. So everybody steps up, does their part, right? No, uh, no stragglers in this group, no shirkers. Well, actually, almost there is one group that doesn't want to do anything. Look at verse 5. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But, I want you to, like, we've been taking those butts and drawing heavy circles around those, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Underline that. The nobles of Tekoa, they wouldn't put their shoulders to the work. Those guys, they wouldn't lend a hand. They wouldn't lift a finger to help out. I think it's really interesting where the NIV says they would not put their shoulders to work. The Hebrew literally says they would not bend their neck. And if, if you had any exposure to the King James, I think the King James mainly has this, but in the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of references to people that are stiff-necked. How many of you have seen that? You've read that before? A stiff-necked person in the Old Testament Hebrew is somebody who is proud and obstinate and refuses to do what God wants them to do. And that was these nobles of Tekoa. There's always somebody in the bunch, right? Always somebody. It doesn't matter the cause. You can get near total buy-in on a project, but there's always those who don't want to get involved. They won't throw their weight behind a project. They just want to sit and watch. But thankfully for Nehemiah, they were the exception. And here's what's interesting to me, these guys. I had you, we emphasize, I had you box Tekoa, and I said we'd come back to it. Um, go back to what it says about the men of Tekoa, where are we? We're down in verse 27. Look at verse 27. Because he draws a sharp contrast between the, mobile, the nobles of Tekoa and the men of Tekoa. We've already seen them in verse, time, verse 4. But by the time he's describing the last part of the wall, we see them again in verse 27. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section. So underline that. The men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. May their tribe increase. So here's the point of chapter 2, and I think why Nehemiah went through all the work of writing this the way he did, is that to be a restorer, I need the community, and the community needs me, that there are gaps to fill, and it takes everyone. And I want you to know, this doesn't just apply to them, this applies to us, big time, okay? I want you to think about them as compared to us, they're a peop they're, to them, the people of God is primarily a single ethnic group. Their whole focus is on a city, Jerusalem, in a specific, specific place in Judah. And their primary mission is the rebuilding of a wall. 
We are also the people of God who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And for us, the people of God is made up of every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? We are part of a global movement of people who love and follow Jesus. And our mission is not rebuilding a wall. It is joining God in the restoration of all things. How many people at a time? Scott said it, one person, one place at a time. It took every one of them to do the work to fill the gaps, right? Every one of them. And how much truer is that of us? This work of restoration, this standing in the gap, it takes all of us serving, both within the body and without. Each of us should be engaged, building up this body, each of us. And each of us should be serving outside of these walls, seeking to be restored wherever God has put us. And I just want to take those in reverse order, if you don't mind. First, I want to talk about serving without, outside of these four walls. Standing in the gap where God has put you outside of here. Because we are the body of Christ, and that means we represent Jesus to our city. Okay? Individually, but as a body. And God has intentionally and strategically placed every one of us in the places where we are and around the people we're with. Every one of us is strategically placed. All of you, everybody. We're strategically placed, intentionally placed by God into those, those spaces and with those people. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard the word crowd cloud. It comes out of tech world. It has not really caught on. It's not very common, not super well known. Um, but this idea of a crowd cloud, what it refers to, among other things, it refers, to the, the, it refers to the circle of your important contacts on your phone that essentially are stored in the cloud because your phone's connected up there, right? If you've got an iPhone and you open up your iPhone and you go to find my, at the bottom left, you'll find find my people. And if they have allowed you to, if you look at that, you can see everybody on your primary contact list where they are in the community around you. You can kind of see your crowd, and, it's a, and you're able to do that because every, they're all connected to the cloud. Does that make sense? And you're like, what does this have to do with us? It actually has everything to do with us. Because in our lives, all of us have a crowd cloud, every single one of us. It's made up of the places you inhabit and the people who inhabit those spaces with you, the God where he's put, intentionally put you. Somebody after first service asked, and I should have said it, what's a third place? Third place would be a place I go maybe to hang out. Um, I know a group of people in this body who gather weekly to play trivia at a particular business. That would be their third place. If you go have coffee somewhere to read a book and you go there regularly because you're trying to build relationships with people, that's a third place. But this is what all of us are, this is our, what our crowd cloud looks like, and that's why I had us at the very beginning, the first week, I had us intentionally try to think through and fill those out. And I know a lot of you did it, because I've had a lot of people talk about how it's, it's heightened their awareness and their intentionality with the places and people around them. And I want you to know something interesting. The, the people who have kind of researched this say the average American has 20 to 30 people in their crowd cloud that are their primary sphere of influence, 20 to 30. I'm just going to take the 20. There are probably 400 adults who regularly at some point show up here and call this place home. And if that's true, do you realize that that means that we have the potential to impact 8,000 people in this city? Our crowd cloud of all of us is 8,000 people. That's like a third or a little more, about a third quarter of this city that we have the potential to impact if we will live into that. Um, 
I mean, that impact is huge. And that's why it takes all of us. That's why we all have to stand in the gap where God has put us. Because you've got gaps you're standing in where God's put you. And those aren't my gaps. I don't stand in those places. And I don't know those people. And I stand in some gaps that none of you stand in. And so God needs all of us to stand in the gap of where we are. We're all needed. We all have a gap to fill. And then I want to talk briefly about that we, we not only stand in the gap without, but we do within the body. Within the body. The... The New Testament version of Nehemiah 3 is 1 Corinthians 12. If you'll turn your page, and if you've been taking notes, you've already seen this, you'll see 1 Corinthians 12 is here, and I would like you to follow along. I would like to read this. It's on page 24 of your booklet if you have page numbers. So again, follow me as we read. I read, and I'm going to ask you to underline a few key sentences or verses, okay? So be ready. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, this is not the word of Garen. It's the word of the Lord. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then we're, next is verse 7. And I want you to underline verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 8 To one there is given the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, don't get bogged down in that, okay? Because I want to go on to what I think is Paul's big point. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit and... Underline the rest of this verse. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. Verse 12, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Underline verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, and can you underline verse 18 with me? In fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But, underline this first phrase of verse 20, or this phrase of verse 24 we're just getting to, but God has put the body together. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that, underline the rest of verse 25, there should be no division in the body, 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then let's underline verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. We say amen to the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen. Point out a few key words in this chapter. You don't have to, we're not going to look for these, okay? The word body occurs 17 times in this chapter. The word part, 18 times. And one body, many parts as a combination, three times in this chapter. And I really, I think just reading this, does, does the truth of this chapter not just stand on its own? Is it pretty obvious um, of what he's saying? Let me just show you the ones that we underline. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The one and the same Spirit, he distributes them, referring to spiritual gifts and abilities, he redistributes them to each one, just as he determines. God has placed the parts of, in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has put the body together. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, each one of you is a part of it. So the scripture is clear. Each one of us has been placed in this body by God, by design, and his spirit has given each of us a spiritual gift, and we are to serve in this body using our gifts and abilities for the common good, for the common good. Doesn't it sound like the people of Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah, exactly what they were doing? You know, Scripture is so clear on this, that we all have a place and a role in this body, every one of us. God wants us all to participate in it. He wants everybody in, each person using their gift, because we're all needed. I want to show you a Scripture from Ephesians. While I'm doing that, I want to invite up the guys that are going to help me with something here in a minute, if they could come up. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 7 to 8, and verse 12, and verse 16. And here's what Paul says here. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Twelve, functioning as a healthy body requires all of us, every single one. He says that so many times in this chapter. And I want to try to illustrate this for you with the idea of a spider web. So these guys are up here to help me out. So Lucas, have at it, man. I'll step to the side. Um, as they do this, I mean, spider webs are pretty amazing, are they not? Like you get up in the morning and the dew's still on them. They're just so beautiful how intricately they're weaved. So there's a lot of beauty to them. They're also pretty effective, right, at catching insects. So these guys are going to build a spider web for me. They've practiced this for hours and hours. But they're going to build a spider web. And you're probably like, Garen, I can't see the illustration. You'll be able to in just a minute, okay? Um, so Lucas is kind of my head. He's the spider weaving the web. Uh, what kind of spider are you, dude? I'm an itsy-bitsy. You're an itsy-bitsy spider. <laughs> Yeah, all the grandkids, right? In fact, Nellie was singing that to Della yesterday. Down came the rain. 
Dude, I've always kind of seen you as a brown recluse or a black widow or something. <laughs> or out in western Kansas where we live, there's a lot of wolf spiders. Those things are crazy. Uh, I don't, are there wolf spiders here? I think there are, but I don't see them as much as I did western Kansas. Right, Nadine, out, out where we grew up? One night, I, as they're building the, the, the web, um, one night I slept out with a friend of mine. We slept in their backyard just in our sleeping bags. We got up that morning, grabbed our sleeping bags, went in, threw them on the floor, and I threw mine on the floor, and then out walked a wolf spider. Wolf spiders are really creepy looking, and that was a, that was a frightening moment. So are we there almost? Noah, we're trying to get Noah. Okay, Noah, good job. All right, now tip that thing so people can see. So this is our spider web, all right? And I want you to, to think of this as representing the body of Christ, how he's designed it, every part having a role. So I want, um, Andre, I want you to drop one of your lines. Just drop one of them. Wow, do you see the difference, just one being out, that it makes with the spider web? Is it as beautiful as it was? Losing its beauty, is it as effective as it was? Not at all. Josh, drop one of yours. And that, you guys know, that affects the rest of you who are connected, doesn't it? You can feel the lack of tension. Rebecca, drop one. Noah. Wow. Clayton, let's, you drop one. Only Bailey's left, the faithful one, the, the woman of Tacoa. But do you see how significant the body of Christ is and your role in it? If one person is simply not serving, it affects all of us, it affects all of us. So can we thank them? They did a great job. Good job, guys. I'll see you later at my third place and get you a cup of coffee or something. But I appreciate them doing that, Lucas and Bailey helping put those guys together. You know, when we think of our service in, at 12th in this particular body and the gaps there are to fill here, we need to think like the people of Nehemiah chapter 3, right? Like Baruch, we need to be zealous about God in our service of Him. Like Hanun, we need to be willing to go the extra mile and do more than is called for. Like Meshulam, we don't just serve in the ministries that I'm interested in or the ones that touch my family or touch me, but I'm willing to fill in a gap in a place that may not affect me because there's a gap and there's a need. And like the perfumers and the goldsmiths and the merchants, and probably 95% of the people. We need to be willing to serve sometimes in areas where I may be like, that's not my gift, but there's a need, and I'm willing to fill a gap. And I want you to know, many of you do that. Many of you do that, and I know who you are, and I thank you for that. There are gaps that need to be filled at 12, you know that? Um, COVID did something interesting to the American church. That three months away, when a lot of people came back who were volunteering before, a lot of them were like, I'm just, maybe didn't say this, but I had my chance to get out, and so now I'm going to be out. And this has impacted churches all over the country, and we have gaps here at 12. Somebody actually, a Nehemiah kind of person, actually recently asked our leadership, they're like, could you, could you build a place on your website so if somebody like me wants to volunteer... Like, I've got a little extra space in my life that I can know where there's a gap or a need. And so we actually have done that. And if you're here at 12th and you are not serving in any way, you've not thrown your lot in with us, if you, um, maybe you're serving, you're like, you know, I'm in a season where I get a little extra time. I really challenge you to go to this. Um, 
on the website. If you just get on and look at next steps underneath that, you'll see volunteers. But we have some pretty big needs. We have a still a huge gap. We talked about this in May in early childhood. I think it was last Sunday, we had 18 young ones downstairs in the preschool. 18. That's just one service, one of those. We've still got the nursery. Childhood, children, Laura is constantly needing volunteers, constantly short-staffed. The guys who do chairs, if you hang around a little bit, you'll see them putting the chairs away. They also come and put them up. There's always needs there. There's gaps in that. Um, just found out last week, somebody who helps with communion is probably going to bow out, so if we need somebody who can help step in that gap. We've kind of got a small team, but could use somebody else. We've been having a lot of need lately for people who will drive people to the hospital, to doctor's visits. So there's more on that list, but um, I just challenge you. If you're needing to get in the game and be a part of the body serving, then check that out. So a couple of questions for you. A couple of questions to wrap up. First one is this. Are you standing in the gap outside of these four walls in the spaces where God has put you and around the people that he has in those spaces? Being a shalom bringer, being a restorer, seeking the peace and prosperity of those places. So that's my first question is, are you intentionally standing in the gap outside of these four walls? And my second is, are you serving in this body, using your spiritual gifts, your abilities, your time, your energy, to serve in a place God wants you to, or perhaps to stand in a gap? And my other question would be this, as you just stand before the Lord, would you say, I'm a noble of Tekoa, or would you say, I'm one of the men of Tekoa? Are you a noble of Tekoa, or are you one of the men of Tekoa? We try to do this every week. Curious, if you were to write, jot down, you know, I think it's like page 79 is where we would be if you go back and you find that for the next one. So it'd be Nehemiah 3. It's the most important thing you learned today. You're like, whoa, that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. That was important to know. One or two things. Just, you can fill it out more later, but just a word or two. Most important thing you learn. And how about the heart? How is God speaking to you today? How is he tapping you on the shoulder? What did you most need to hear? And then hands, what specific thing will I do this week to apply that to my life? How will I put into practice the thing that God was saying to me? Twelfth chapter three of Nehemiah is that it takes a village. I need the community and the community needs me. There are gaps to fill, and every one of us needs to find that and step into it. It takes everyone. Um, and God, he has called us to, 
we could do Ephesians 2.10. He's created you for a very good, a special good work. He's called you to your places and your people for a specific reason because he wants you to there make an impact. We all are needed. We all have a place, every single one of us. And so that's, to me, the challenge that I take from this chapter. They had gaps in the wall. Where I'm at, outside of here, there's gaps in my neighborhood. There's gaps where I work, where I study, where I play. And God wants me to be an impact for shalom and for the good for that. And there's gaps in this body. We're a part of this body. And God calls all of us to be a part of it. So... Don't you know, don't you feel in your gut how important this community, the whole community is in being a restorer? I mean, how desperately you know as we do that work, because it's not easy. In fact, next week, chapter four, we're going to see the opposition come really strong against them. It's not easy doing this, okay? I know. How much we need each other to pray for each other. I've got people praying for me. I've got people who are giving me advice. I'm asking advice. Had that last week. Somebody came up. I have to have a conversation with somebody. Do you have a sense of how I should approach it? We do that for each other. We hold each other accountable to being restorers. We share with each other where God is, has us and may, ways we sense God wants to use us, and we encourage each other. So the community is so important. So 12th, my call this morning is we belong to each other. We need each other. This task cannot be done alone, right? We need every hand on deck. So can I pray? Father, I thank you for this powerful chapter um, of the need for everybody to fill in gaps, how they did that in Jerusalem, and Lord, that call for us as a body of Christ, that we fill in the gaps where we are outside of these four walls, and that we as a part of this body are willing to, we're willing to put our shoulder to the wheel here. Um, so help us to be those kind of people, people who are willing people who want to make a difference. And Lord, as we, as we live in these spaces and we really are striving, I know a lot of people with intentionality are striving and wanting to make an impact. I pray that you would empower us with your spirit, give us strength. And I pray that this church would be a place, Lord, that we are impacting our crowd cloud because the potential is so huge. So I just pray this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, 12, you've got a crowd cloud out there. Okay, we've been together with this crowd you've the rest of the week, so you are sent to be restored.